Hi there, and welcome to the T21 Mom Podcast. My name is Mary, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm here with my friend, Ron. Hey, Mary. Hey, Ron. What adventure do we have today? I think that we, uh, at the close of the last episode, we were talking about an occupational therapist. Yes, we are going to talk to our amazing OT, also known as occupational therapist, Henna, who is also at the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation, the DSRF for short. And she's going to talk to us about what OT is, because initially, when Ainsley was young, I had no idea what OT was. So she covers a lot of ground, and I think it's really interesting, and our listeners can learn a lot. All right, let's go talk to Henna. All right. Hi there, and welcome to the T21 Mom Podcast. And today, I'm very excited to have on our occupational therapist, also known as OT in the world of Down syndrome, Henna from the DSRF. Welcome, Henna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. It's awesome. I'm so glad that you could come on. And, you know, last week we had Riley. So now this week is your turn. So, yeah. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you kind of got into OT and... So professionally, I have my undergraduate degree in psychology from Simon Fraser University Mm -hmm. and obtained my master's of OT from UBC. Mm -hmm. I've been working as a therapist at the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation for almost three years now. It'll be three years this August. Mm -hmm. And then from a personal perspective, I moved to Canada from Pakistan in 1995 when I was 12 years old. Um, and from, yeah, so from a very early age, I knew I wanted to work with individuals who had developmental disabilities. I had a younger sister who had uh, cerebral palsy. So I knew that my passion was in that area where I really wanted to work with kids who had special needs. And I just didn't know to what capacity, but I knew that I wanted to work with kids and kids with special needs. And that's, yeah, that's kind of what that was. So. Oh, interesting. No, I didn't know that about you. So, yeah, yeah. And so. I mean, obviously the DSRF, the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation, they do a lot with young kids like Ainsley, but they also do a lot of things with adults. I don't know. Do they actually offer speech and OT? So like some of those other services to the older, I want to say kids, but they're like young adults and some of them are in their 20s. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, with respect to OT, and I can say this for speech therapy as well, that it's a profession that works with individuals across the lifespan. So Mm. I myself have had quite a few clients that are in the adult age category at the DSRF. And I actually started a program for some of our adults, helping them learn how to, it was, the program was called Let's Make Plans. And it was Mm -hmm. getting them to independently plan their own leisure activities. Because a lot of the times they're moms and dads and caregivers are the ones planning it for them. But we wanted to, for them to be able to do it on their own. So, mm-hmm. and there's lots of other adult programs at DS, as mm-hmm. I'm sure you know, but yes. uh, yeah, so. Oh, awesome. That's great. Yeah. And yeah. so when Ainsley was young, like I never really understood what OT was or how it would benefit Ainsley. Can you explain a little bit what occupational therapy is? Sure. So occupational therapy is a, a health profession that focuses on enabling people of all ages and abilities to really do the things they need and want to do in their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. So the, the word occupation refers to an activity or a task that really occupies one's time. So it really could be anything. Okay. 
And these activities usually kind of fall into three categories. So self-care, that can include dressing, toileting, feeding, grooming. The second category is productivity. So this could be school-related tasks, people's jobs, participating in the community. And then the final is leisure activities. So things such as sports, um, gardening, playing outside. Yeah, so for Ainsley, for example, her primary occupations would fall into, you know, like toileting, dressing, because she's learning that as a little girl, but then also going to school and enjoying those fun things that she does outside of her school time could be her occupations. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I had I had no yeah. idea that's what it actually meant. And Yeah, and... Sorry. So like one of the things that drew me to this profession really was the significance that occupational therapy places on the individual as an expert in their own illness or disability or the parent in this case. So we're really a client centered profession and we consider the person who they are and what is the value to them. So we kind of look at that person component. Then we look at the occupation components of the task that they need to accomplish. And then finally, that environment component. So not necessarily just the physical environment, but the people in their environment. So, so this person, occupation, environment, when all these three things are kind of come into play and are in balance, that's when we find that really good performance and optimal performance can occur. Yeah, and I've seen some great benefits with Ainsley since she has started her OT and Mm -hmm. when should kids with Down syndrome start OT because I had a lot of pushback from some of the early interventionists earlier on before we were at the DSRF to get into occupational therapy. So um, with respect to the the pushback from early intervention, I can't really speak for the particular therapist that you you worked with or what their reasoning was but if I had to venture a guess it would some agencies may just be overloaded and may not have enough resources or therapists Mm -hmm. to see kids on a regular basis for therapy. And honestly, if that is the case, then I personally feel that they should let parents know that so that as a parent, you can seek out other sources of therapy for your kids, or you can kind of start working on some things on your own with some consultation. I myself have clients that are as young as 18 months or two years of age. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't really see any reason to delay therapy. And and the thing is that you asked earlier about when kids should start OT. uh, And as I mentioned, that it's a profession that works with individuals across the lifespan. So mm-hmm. as as long as there aren't any really acute medical issues that have to be dealt with, um, it also depends on your goals as a parent and whether you as a parent are ready to bring your kids to therapy every week. You know, we <laughs> yep. have to kind of consider you guys as mm-hmm. well, right? It's not just... So when all those things are kind of looked after, then I really don't see any reason to delay OT and it can start at any age because we can work with parents when their kids are in the infancy stage or in the early childhood stage, Mm -hmm. just all depends on what your goals are. Okay. I kind of thought that, but yeah, they really kept telling me at that time that it would be after three. And I kept thinking, I think we need to start before that. And I think she was, gosh, I think she was over three. I think it was three and a half before we started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the first things that, I guess it would depend how old the child is then, but what would be some of the first things you would sort of look at or would you work on when when someone comes to see an OT? Mm-hmm. This is a really great question because so often I see therapists, teachers, or even parents might start working on some specific goals, which is great, but without really having addressing some of the underlying skills that are needed to achieve that goal. So mm-hmm. 
those foundational steps are so important. At the Down Syndrome Resource Foundation, we do a series of presentations uh, for new families who've just had their tiny little kiddos with Down syndrome. And mm -hmm. I always use this pi this pyramid graphic that kind of outlines, you know, what the developmental progression will be for their kids at, in terms of how they learn particular skills. Mm -hmm. it, it serves as like a really good visual and, you know, provides parents with like that bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So at the bottom of the pyramid is, you know, we're talking about the sensory processing. And then uh, once we kind of have that addressed, then you move up to the next step, which is gross motor and then fine motor. And then finally, when those three foundational things are in place, we can kind of then really start working on some of those self-care skills and then the life skills. So what are some of the first things that I work on? It just really depends on the parent's goal, but I always use that pyramid as my guiding force and it helps me in making my decisions and then helps when I'm helping create goals with parents for their kids as well. And maybe we can get a copy of that or something or a link to put it on the website. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to. Yeah. I'd because, be happy to send that to you. Okay, sure. That would be awesome. Cause I think parents would really uh, benefit from, cause I do remember that at your presentation when I went to the early parents or new parent series, I think it's called, uh, is that mm -hmm. what it's called? It's called the new parent series. And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think, when did I go? I think it was, a, well, it was over two years ago. I think that I went, I mean, Ainsley wasn't even little then. I think she was three or four. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, no, yeah. I found the series awesome and it was really informative. There was such a wide variety of speakers. So it was, it, it was great, but yeah, yeah. I, I think parents would really love to see that pyramid and, and just, you know, then they can kind of gauge where their, their kid is, their kiddo is. Yeah. And I think the feedback that I get from these presentations, especially for that pyramid diagram is that parents appreciate having the bigger picture so that when so that they can see where their kids are at and what the progress is going to look like so that it kind of informs their decision making as well. So I think it's always good to have, you know, our kids with Down syndrome are such strong visual learners, mm -hmm. but it's also really helpful for us as therapists and parents as well to have that visual in our brain so that we can kind of, you know, use it as a guide. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know we've sort of talked about some of the main areas and skills that obviously that it, that you as an OT works on and I know can you also help with some sensory issues like because I know a lot of kids with Down syndrome like and I know Ainsley has some sensory issues like are you able to do that as an OT? Absolutely yeah so for the listeners I may not be familiar with the term so sensory processing refers to the way our nervous system receives messages from our environment through you know our various senses and really acts in response to those that piece of information. So, so according to research literature, actually approximately 49% of school-aged kids with Down syndrome experience sensory processing challenges when compared to 5 to 16% of their neurotypical peers. So it's wow. definitely an area that needs to be addressed. And OTs have expertise in the area of sensory processing because it impacts all areas of our kids' occupations and participation in their environment. So, you know, there's definitely a lot that we can do with respect to sensing with our kids. Wow, I had never heard that th that stat before, mm -hmm. that number. 49%, eh? So pretty much yeah. half of of people yeah. with Down syndrome yeah, have absolutely. some yeah, sort of... To some sensory. degree. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. You know, because for example, like Ainsley 
she used to hate getting her hair washed and it's sort of a necessity in life and you know our OT at the time and <laughs> yes when, yeah and she's got long hair now like and our when we did finally get an OT through early intervention she was fabulous and you know she really worked well with Ainsley and you know she suggested because she couldn't stand the water on her head which I guess is a sensory mm-hmm. issue because mm-hmm. she absolutely refuses mm-hmm. to wear like any hats headbands I'm surprised she actually lets me put ponytails or braids in her hair yeah it's been a challenge and she has all these cute hats that we get but you know unfortunately I can't wear them you know (laughs) and then she suggested just putting like a cloth on her head and then pouring the water and that did help Mm -hmm. and and now it's actually quite good like she allows me to do it but she absolutely hates the shower and you know when we go swimming like that's how you clean off is through the shower and I have to use like a cup and like would she ever kind of outgrow that or kind of get accustomed to it so yeah I mean that's a a bit of a key thing to to think about it in terms of outgrowing because I mean if you think about it to some degree we all have sensor processing Mm -hmm. issues I have certain things that I certain sounds that I can't that are aversive to me so it's just that the difference between my sensory processing and Ainsley's is that I've just, I'm, I'm able to function with it and I understand how I can regulate myself and, mm-hmm. you know, I, how to deal with it. So our goal as OTs is to help. Um, and, and the sensory processing thing, I mean, I, I bet you could probably do a podcast on just sensory processing because it's such a wide topic. There's so many intricacies and different things about how our guys process sensory information because mm-hmm. it's actually even you know, for our kids, the Down syndrome specifically, it's not even the five basic senses. There are three additional senses that really come into play for them as well. You know, so one of them is our is sorry. sense, which is our sense of movement. And, sorry, what it, it cut out right there. Oh, is no, this, I can. Sorry, I can. What was it? It was our sense of what? So, so, so our, uh, so our five basic senses, we know. So vision, hearing, touch taste and smell but Mm -hmm. there's actually three additional senses that come into place so the first one is our vestibular sense so Mm -hmm. vestibular system which is our in our inner ear and this is our sense of movement and gives us information on how fast our bodies are moving and it can uh, impact our balance and posture Mm -hmm. our the others the seventh sense is called proprioception which is our sense of body awareness and how our muscles and joints are moving so that's a, another one that we have to think about. Okay. And most recently, research is finding another sense, which is called interoception. And this is our this is what's known as the hidden sense. And the interoception is the feedback that we get from the sensations inside our body. So hunger, thirst, okay. pain, um, bowel and bladder fullness and emptying. So these three senses really are play a huge role in how our kiddos with down syndrome um, receive information from their environment and respond to it the interoception bias is why toilet training can be really tricky for our kids proprioception and vestibular is why we see a lot of them doing lots of other behaviors that like ainsley loves the swing so that's because she's really seeking a lot of that movement that she really needs to kind of organize her system internally so that she can function and do the things that she needs to do so Wow, I had never heard of that. That's that's really interesting. And and those three other senses, which I can't even pronounce, is that more prev? I, I, I want to say prevalent, but are they more? 
I, I guess, noticeable common. or prevalent or common in mm-hmm. people with Down syndrome mm-hmm. as opposed to the typical population? Absolutely. So with respect to our kiddos with Down syndrome, generally they'll be either sensory sensitive to some input or mm-hmm. they'll seek some input. So so if they have that sensitivity pattern, they're just very oversensitive to specific to specific sensory information. So they might not like sudden loud noises. Mm-hmm. They may not like various textures. So this is, so that tactile, that touch sensitivity is where maybe Ainsley was having difficulty when she, you were working on getting her to take a bath or get washed, her hair washed, mm-hmm. because she was having, you know, some aversion to the texture or this, the touch aspect of it. Lights can bother some of our kids. So mm-hmm. that's the sensitivity component. From seeking is where we really see that vestibular movement or that proprioceptive sense and that interoception is where they're really seeking a lot of the those sensory sensations and it is definitely like i'm happy to even have a little handout if you guys want to put it up on the website so parents can kind of really learn about these three additional senses because it's really prevalent in our guys with down syndrome yeah i i i think people would be very interested in that because i this is the first I'd heard about it. I didn't know about it, but I, I mean, I knew a lot of our kiddos were, had some sensory issues. Like a lot of them, they don't mm-hmm. like really loud noises. And, and, you know, I know mm-hmm. one friend, her son, he really doesn't like a lot of noise, but he also refuses to wear the noise, refuses to wear the noise canceling headphones. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's challenging. Yeah. And then like, it's that yeah. something that they get better at when they as they get older like getting more accustomed to Mm -hmm. their environment or like how do you work with that because it can be really sort of life challenging you know where you can't maybe absolutely yeah go to parties or events because of the sensitivities Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah And, and definitely that is something I mean and that's kind of a large part of my job as an OT is to and each kid's sensory experiences are their own and they're mm-hmm. different. So I have to kind of te- take it for each kid as their own. And the goal is to help them first understand what their bodies are feeling, why they're seeking or why they're sensitive to this information, and then slowly working on getting them accustomed to it and, mm-hmm. you know, giving them other ways to get that sensor. And usually what we do is we would recommend, you know, what's known as a sensory diet. So you're providing them what they need throughout the day. It's not a five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day kind of thing. You know, they need to, if they're seeking lots of input to their muscles and joints, they like lots of deep pressure and they like movement, then you're incorporating those opportunities for them to get that Mm -hmm. throughout their day so that they can stay regulated and kind of be at a at a very you know organized level in their body so that they can do all those things like printing and cutting and for the example that you use of your friend's kiddo who doesn't like loud noises but won't wear the headphones if you think about it is maybe he doesn't like the feeling of the headphones on his head so then we explore other options Mm -hmm. of what we could do we could slowly desensitize him to sound. So there's lots of different ways that we can work through the challenges that our kiddos face with respect to their sensory processing. Even you gave a great example with Ainsley with washing her hair. You kind of slowly started to work Mm -hmm. on with just a washcloth and then you did a cup. So it's just kind of working at it at their speed, at their pace and slowly getting them used to it. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to believe that they can't get to that point where they can, where a kiddo can go into a loud assembly and just be fine. But it just takes (laughs) a lot of time and, Mm -hmm. and and you kind of have to work at their own speed. So... Oh, of course. Yes. I mean, 
I think you're right. It probably is an entire uh, episode about, I hadn't really thought mm-hmm. about it, about the sensory processing. Um, mm-hmm. can, I, can I just ask a question about Absolutely. where this all comes in, like the vestibular, the proprioception? How does this play into, like, with lower muscle tone of Down syndrome kids? Kids with Down syndrome. Kids with Down syndrome. I'm sorry. I have, to keep, I, I, I have to keep correcting Ron. If she wasn't on the other side of the table, she would have whacked me upside the head, I swear. No, I'm not a violent person. It's okay. No, it's great. It's great, though. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing. And I think as therapists and as, as parents, we're so used to person-first language. So it is, we understand that if you're not in it and involved in it all day, it is a bit hard to get, to get to that point. But you'll get there, Ron. I'm sure you'll all be great. Um, One slap up the and head. yeah, and your question. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, that was a really great question, by the way. And yes, our as we all know, our kiddos with Down syndrome have low tones, so that means that a lot of the sensory information is weakened that gets into their system. So, ah, okay. so let's, for example, let's take. I always use printing as an example. So, a lot of our guys have a difficult mm-hmm. time holding a pencil. They might hold it too lightly. They might hold it too tightly. So it just depends, and that's because the sensory receptors in their hands are weaker. So they can't always feel that pencil, that spoon, that fork in their hand. Ah, So what we need to do is bring some more alertness because of the low tone. We need to bring some more alertness to their hand from a sensory perspective. Then we need to work on strengthening the hands as well. So it kind of goes hand like hand in hand, pun intended. <laughs> but you know, it kind of goes hand in hand. You have to work on the sensory component with the low tone, but then also the strength component of the low tone, so that they can feel what's in their hand, and then they can easily manipulate that object to do what it needs to do. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that makes cool. total sense. And then I was just thinking of something else when you were talking about that is. I always hear about this, that our kiddos have a really high tolerance to pain. And I know that Ainsley does. Is Mm -hmm. that why? Yeah. So a lot of our kiddos, because so we're talking about that hidden sense, which is interoception, because they're not, for them, pain registers at a high, like for, for when you're comparing it to the typical population, for them, they have to be at a higher level of pain for it to register at their system. So that's why it, they're having that high tolerance. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's really important to kind of get them to understand the safety awareness is super important because they might be touching something warm, but because the sensory receptors are the messages are going a bit slower to the brain, it takes them longer to register that pain. So uh, that's why a lot of our kids may not complain to you that they're feeling sick until really it's, they're really, really feeling sick because it's finally yes. registering on their system. Or they may not be able to hold their their pee or their poo because it's taking them, it takes, it has to be really full to the point where it might be an accident for it to register on their system. So, so that interoception kind of really plays an important role because it's telling them the, the internal feelings of their bodies and, and then how they can communicate that with you is kind of what we work on as well. And so would that kind of explain for some of our kiddos that like toileting, for example, which is such a huge mm-hmm. milestone and mm-hmm. that why it can be difficult? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of parents always ask me like, oh, when are my kids going to kind of self-initiate going to the toilet? Why is it that 
when it's time to go, they're not peeing. But then once I take them off the toilet, all of a sudden they have an accident. It's yeah. just because as a parent, I'm sure you're entirely too much, too aware of those kind of situations that they happen. And it's because the sensations in their internal organs are not keeping, they're not giving them that warning or that. That they need to go? That they need to go. Exactly. They're not giving them that enough of a warning or enough of, you know, notice that, hey, it looks like. You know, a lot of the times you you and I, we could say, look, oh, I really have to go to the bathroom, but I can wait for a little bit before yeah. I go. You know, so we have that sensation that kind of starts when we're kind of like, oh, I, I really kind of need to go, but I can wait for a little bit. But for our guys, it really has to get to that point where it's pretty much like their bladder is full. Uh-huh. And then finally it registers being like, oh, I really have to go pee now. So and then so that's why with toilet training, a lot of the times we kind of work on trip training our kids mm-hmm. and getting them on a schedule, yeah. which they really recommend for, for regularity. They recommend that for typical people too, right? Mm-hmm. Like if your body is on a regular schedule, it's just the biological rhythms kind of fall in line. So, so yeah, so the sensory aspect for toileting, not only with respect to the internal sensations of the body, but also how kids observe and take in the bathroom environment can be a huge thing. They may not like the sound of the flush. Mm -hmm. They may not like the way the toilet seat feels on their bum or the way the hand soap feels. So so when I'm doing toileting presentations, I kind of talk a lot about that too. There's so much to think about with that respect. I know I read somewhere about one family, they actually made their bathroom like a, a, like a, like a, di- a disco hall. Like, I think they yes. actually put up, a, yes, I, heard I don't know if yeah. that was in one of the presentations, but I thought, oh, wow, yeah. that's, you know, yeah. but it, that's what worked for their kiddo. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Ainsley, it's kind of funny. She'll, she'll say all done and she hasn't done anything. And I go, yeah. and I always make her sit down for another minute. And then she goes, it's almost, she almost does that. Well, not every time, but often when she yeah. says all done, I know, but yeah. I know that she needs to go. She, then, she needs to go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. like one yeah. minute later I go, what is it? You said you're all done, but that totally like that just added that clarity to me that why yeah. she's, cause she does think she's doesn't need to go. And then it's just yeah. getting to that point where I, where her body is telling her, yes, you need to go. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. We're almost, I would say close to hundred percent now, which is good. <laughs> it was that's amazing. Yeah. No, and yeah. It, that's great. I had a, a parent the other, uh, a while ago tell me, she's like, she was reading a report that I wrote for her son about the sensory. And I, usually I'll get parents to fill out a sensory profile just to kind of see where their kids are at. And the mom's like, oh, you know, I was wondering why I was reading your report. And now it finally makes sense why he was, you know, you know, pushing furniture in his room all the time. Like he kept moving his bed. He kept moving his tables because he inadvertently was seeking that input to his muscles and joints. So by moving the furniture or moving the table or the bed around in his room all the time, he was getting that sensory input to his muscles and joints, but he was doing it without even really knowing it. So it's kind of once we really start to think about how sensory processing can impact their functioning and how they act and behave, it really Mm. is quite fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting. And, and I haven't really heard too much about that. So I think that's really interesting. And I think a lot of parents, like they'll kind of have that aha moment going, oh yeah, like that kind of makes sense. So yeah, I think, Mm -hmm. well, we might have to have you on again to talk more about that as well. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to, no problem. Oh, that would be awesome. And, you know, I know we're, we've been talking a little bit about the toileting. If parents are wanting to, you know, try to reach that milestone, is it best to talk with their OT about it? Like, would you set up sort of a, a plan 
that parents can follow with their kiddo or like how does it is it work like I had like someone else come in privately who who thank god who did it for Ainsley but I'm sure they used Mm -hmm. a lot of the same skills that you would use so what would parents do if they were wanting to try it so yeah so for toileting I mean it's it's a really and I'm sure you can attest to this is a super complicated process Mm -hmm. because there's so many different components to a toileting routine it's not just actually going to the bathroom I mean from an OT perspective I want our kiddos to be fully independent from turning the lights on into the bathroom to, you know, getting into the, into the, onto the toilet, pants up, pants down, wiping, flushing, mm-hmm. washing their hands. So the whole, there's a whole dance to this thing. And yeah. so if parents are, I, I usually do toileting presentations mm-hmm. for parents as well, it kind of covers from when they can notice that their kids are ready for the process Mm -hmm. because a lot of the times your kids may not even be ready right and so you kind of have to assess that first Mm -hmm. and then you assess do they have the skills for toileting so do they have the communication skills to tell you that they're that they're wet do they know what the sequencing is for toileting do they have the physical skills to even stay upright on a toilet seat so all Mm. those things kind of have to be taken into consideration and then yeah and then definitely as ot's we're kind of also really have a great expertise in working on the toileting process and then we would talk to the parents Mm -hmm. about where their kids are at and thinking of that person environment occupation you know little thing that i talked about earlier we would address all those areas and then kind of just go forward from there. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> toileting is an entire episode in of itself because mm-hmm. it's such mm-hmm. an important and a big milestone. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm so happy, and I know Ainsley's aide at school is really happy too. That yeah. uh, you know <laughs> that she's. I would say not quite a hundred percent because we do have the odd accident here and there, but for the most part, I'd say she's pretty good. And, and, you know, I have to also say like for her aid at school played a big role in that. There's Mm -hmm. so many people involved as when you go down that route, when you start to do the toileting that there's so many people involved, but her aid was on it and she was really gung ho. And, you know, she made a big difference in, in Ainsley achieving, helping her to achieve that milestone. So yeah. yeah. And you hit the nail on the head because honestly, for toileting to be successful, number the number one thing is consistency. Mm-hmm. So I find that a lot of my kiddos that are having challenges with toilet training is because things are being done different at home versus at school yeah. versus what the OT is working on with them. So it's, it's such a, it's such a, one of those things that our kids want to do. And I see how proud Ainsley is when she Mm -hmm. gets through with her routine. And (laughs) so we're proud of her as well, but they're also super proud because it is such a huge milestone, as you said. But if if there's inconsistency, then it's really not fair for us to expect our kids to learn it because they're being expected to do it different ways in different environments. So I always talk to teachers, SEs and parents. I'm like, we all have to kind of get together Mm -hmm. and figure out a plan together and do the same thing in all environments because otherwise anxiety can happen and mm-hmm. kids can regress more often so that's a really huge part of it as well is that everyone has to be on board so again like you said the reason why Ainsley one of the biggest reasons why Ainsley's doing well is because you've maintained that consistency mm-hmm. with her as well so yeah 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 you're right you, you hit it on the head there is that we can't really expect you know, because it's a difficult skill to learn and you can't expect our kids to do it differently with each person or in each mm-hmm. environment that they're in. So yeah, consistency is key. And, and that, that made it, and that made a big 
difference with Ainsley is that everyone everyone was on board because we all wanted to see success so absolutely th- yeah. thank goodness yeah and, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and I remember seeing her when her first time wearing her little underpants like when she was running around and I go it, I don't know it just I was so proud of her it was I was quite happy <laughs> oh she looks so cute. yeah no oh absolutely yeah no it's just it's a huge it's a huge deal it's a really really huge deal and she's doing amazing so that's awesome oh thank you yeah I'm I'm yeah. pretty happy about it and so like I know you said that OT is a lifetime therapy so what are some of the other things that you as an OT can help with I mean I'm I mean that's sort of a big question but you know I guess like obviously we were talking about toileting and feeding and dressing Mm -hmm. and and printing and I see all the things that you work on with Ainsley but like as kids Mm -hmm. get older what are when once they've reached those milestones or have accomplished those skills what are some of the other big skills that as an OT would you work on? So honestly, as OTs, we can work on anything and everything. At the end of the day, our goal is to help our clients, you know, become more independent Mm -hmm. and functional in their everyday lives. So myself personally, with some of our older, our teenagers and our older uh, and our adults, after the printing and the drawing and the cutting and all that's kind of taken care of, we work on life skills such as learning how to type, you know, working on cooking skills, money, math and budgeting skills. I'm working with some of my teenagers learning how to tell the time so that they can be more independent in of time course. management. Okay. Yeah. And even home care skills. So like laundry, folding clothes, and then eventually when they're ready to go out there and look for a job, working on interview and job skills. Okay. So it really, it, yeah. And it runs like, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, OTs can even start working in NICUs as, as with newborns. So really it is a mm-hmm. huge range of what we can do, but for our older kids, there's lots of things that we could still work on with them oh that's awesome because see I hadn't yeah. even thought about some of the things that you said like that who would who would be I mean because we're not there yet obviously but so I it hadn't mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. wasn't really in my immediate future but yeah I hadn't thought about that that some of those things that like who would be doing that but that's really interesting to know so yeah Wow. So you guys, yeah, that's awesome. Like you guys just, like you said, go through the lifespan of Mm -hmm. of our kids, like learning different things in sort of, I guess, each stage of their life. So absolutely. You got it. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been like very informative and I, I'm sure there, there's lots of people out there who might have questions. So is it okay for our listeners to contact you? Absolutely. Yes, they definitely can. So Mm -hmm. uh, your email is Henna, which is H-I-N-A at DSRF.org. And mm-hmm. we can also, like, they can also, we'll put the link on the website so that if they if they Great. need to, they can send you a message. And this has been Perfect. so informative, Henna, and I really appreciate you taking your time to, to speak with us today. And, Absolutely, and, yeah. And explaining what OT is, because, like, you know, speech therapy seems pretty obvious, right? <laughs> even physio right but sometimes occupational therapy people are going what exactly is that because I was one of those people when Ainsley was little I go I don't understand what OT is but I think everybody's heard the term but I don't think everybody really understands what it is yeah because and as Mm -hmm. Hannah has explained like it's a lifetime of skills really and you know and I never even thought of it that way yeah. And I think just the, the, the term occupation can be confusing to people because generally when you think of occupation, you think of job mm-hmm. and, you know, and every people are like, oh, do you help people find jobs? And like, that's one thing that I could do. But really, occupation is anything that you do that occupies your time. Yeah. So, 
that's why it can run the gamut of OT's work across so many different settings with so many different populations. So because everyone has something that they need to do and want to do that's meaningful to them. And our goal is to help them either learn it or get back to it. Right. If they are unable to. So, yeah. 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 Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Henna. And and we will see you in a couple of weeks as we start our summer block. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, thank you so much for having me on. This is such a great thing that you started. And I think our parents and other OTs, I'm going to recommend the podcast to, awesome. um, you know, up and coming OTs to, to learn about Down syndrome and just kind of looking at it from a whole person perspective. So thank you so much for starting the podcast. It's great. And oh, thank you for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Hannah. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Ron. Have a great day, you guys. I really enjoyed our time speaking with Hannah today. And I hope everyone was able to learn a lot from Hannah and what OT actually is. Learning about those muscle resources and the low tone and the impact that they actually have on internal organs. I mean, we had that great conversation about toileting, mm -hmm. which you know is crucial to every parent. So it was it was an interesting process. It was interesting conversation. I got a great deal out of it. That's awesome. And I think we will do an entire episode on potty training because I hear about it all the time. And like you said, it's a pretty important thing. And it's a huge milestone that parents, they want it always yesterday because <laughs> right. I know I did. Right. Do, you, do you think, do any of our listeners have uh, potty training stories, toileting stories that they'd like to share with us or any other stories you'd like to tell with us? Let us know how we're doing. If you have story ideas, uh, please let us know. Like Mary will give you the email address and, you know, please don't be afraid to write us, comment, pros, cons. We're more than happy to talk to you. Yes, I would love to hear from our listeners and maybe some things that they would love to hear about and maybe share some stories of their own because we're always looking for new and interesting stories and and I hope that we can feature some of those people on the T21 Mom podcast. Exactly. So we'd like to, we would very much like to hear from you otherwise we're just two voices in the wilderness <laughs> and the great internet wilderness. Okay, Mary, why don't you lead us out? Thanks for listening to the T21 Mom podcast and we would love to hear from you. How are you navigating this journey of special needs and down syndrome? How are you doing things your way? Drop us a line and let us know about your stories, things that are going on in your life and things that you want to hear about at info at t21mom.com and t21mom is all one word and let us know what's going on in your life. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. We would love to hear from you. Keep on loving on those rocking kiddos and we will see you next time. See you, Mary. Bye, Ron. Bye.